if you look at the title of our message today, it is Sabbath 201. Now, this, uh, this quarter, we, of course, had our evangelistic series, and we covered many of the principal uh, foundation concepts of the Seventh-day Adventist faith that's found in God's Word, the Sabbath being one of them. And if you've gone through those meetings, or if, if you've been in attendance in the Seventh-day Adventist church for any good amount of time, odds are you have, had, you have listened to a sermon on the Sabbath. And most likely, that sermon has recounted from the Scripture the reasons why we keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. We understand that the seventh day, or Saturday, is the Sabbath of the Lord God, that it was set apart as holy at creation after God rested from all the work of creating he had done on the previous six days. The fourth commandment then tells us to remember the Sabbath, to keep it what? Holy. Obviously, God made it holy at creation. Our job is to maintain a reverence for that day, its holiness. And of course, you can search high and low, and you will not find one trace of a Bible text that differs from any prophet or apostle or Jesus himself mentioning any other day that is set apart as holy. The seventh day, thus, is still the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. And pretty much that's the whole sermon. Odds are you'll go through, and it takes a while to do that study. You go back to Genesis, and you go through Exodus, and you go through the life of Christ, and you look at the apostles. Then you look at Isaiah and show how it's going to be kept through eternity, and Even God's last day commandment keeping people will keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, and we want to keep those commandments. And that is Sabbath 101, that there is a seventh day, it is still in effect, it was instituted before sin, and it will be kept throughout eternity, and we, according to the commandment, should keep the seventh day holy. But beyond that, questions sometimes arise about Sabbath that those previous messages don't have time to articulate. Thus, we have Sabbath 201 going beyond the basics, what is the Sabbath and when is the Sabbath, to what's the purpose of the Sabbath and how do I keep it holy? We're going to be looking at Sabbath 201 today. But before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, particularly this Sabbath day. Thank you for creating such a thing at all and inviting us to join you in its rest. Lord, help us through the pages of Scripture to understand more about this day, more about your purpose for it, and our role to play as we keep the Sabbath holy, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps Jesus' most well-known statement about the Sabbath is found in the book of Mark. It's chapter 2, verse 27. But as I begin to say it, odds are you could quote it along with me, but Jesus simply said the Sabbath was made for whom? Man, and not man for the Sabbath. And of course, man there is the word anthropos, which means all of humanity, not just a certain race of people or a national identity of people, but all mankind is supposed to benefit from the blessing of Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. But what does that actually mean? We're going to see, what is the purpose of the Sabbath at all? Now, contrary to what, off, what is often said, and I've heard it said, and I think it's well intended, I think it comes from a good place in people's hearts, I just think it's, at the best, partially true, and perhaps even totally wrong. And let me explain what I mean. Contrary to what is often said, the Sabbath was not given to humanities merely because God knew we needed a break from working hard every day. I've heard it said, oh, the Lord knows we need a Sabbath. The week is so long, the week is so hard, the work is so toilsome that if we didn't have the Sabbath break, we would just wear ourselves silly and run ourselves ragged, and he knows that we need a break from work. 
which is true, of course, we do need a break from work, but is that the original intent of the Sabbath? By the way, I believe it's this misconception that leads people to sleep the Sabbath away instead of making a day of sacred activity. But we'll come back to that later. We'll keep your toes intact for now. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. A small text that gives a big thought about God tells us something about God that we might not often think about. And apparently, it's such a common thing that it should almost be common sense. It's written with a rhetorical question as if to say, in fact, it specifically says, have you not known? So whatever he's about to tell us, this is something we should just kind of know. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is what? weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. But let me ask you a question. Who was the first to keep the Sabbath day holy? It was God himself, was it not? He rested, and after he rested, he said, now that what I just did, that is Sabbath, and now I give it to you. But God was the originator of Sabbath rest, But according to this passage, he doesn't need physical rest. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't grow faint. He doesn't tire out. So why did the Lord take a break and rest? By the way, the word rest is not resting in sleep that the Lord did. It was ceasing from doing those labors. It was a pause in the action. It was a stoppage of the other stuff to make way for another thing. It wasn't stopping all activity. It was simply ceasing that other activity so you could have this special day set aside. Why would God do that in the beginning? Well, you could further say, well, yes, though God doesn't tire. Humans do. And he knew that we would need it, and so he instituted it on our behalf, exemplified how to keep it, and then gave it to us. Which is true, but when man was made and when the Sabbath was given to man... Had there been any sin yet? No. And toilsome work, not work itself, but hard, wearying, sweaty labor was a consequence of the fall. It was not an original condition to which man was subjected. In fact, it leads to the question, if Adam's work in the garden and all of our work, because of course no one was supposed to sin, were they? We were all supposed to be in that Eden ideal for the rest of eternity. So why would we need, in a perfect environment, a day off to recuperate from those other six? Why would man need a Sabbath even in paradise? Well, it's a question that's brought up, and you find it an interesting answer in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 48. God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursuits for one day of the seven, that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon his power and goodness. So it's nothing about manual labor or physical exhaustion. It's talking about own interests and pursuits versus God's contemplation of his power and his greatness and his character. It goes on. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. 
Thus, we go to Exodus chapter 31, which was our scripture reading today, and we see that it makes more sense, seen in this light, that apparently the original ideal of the Sabbath was not merely a physical break from hard work so that we can gear up for another week of hard work. It's not just a rest physically. In fact, it's not even primarily that. It may not even be that at all. The original intent of the Sabbath was to recalibrate our connection with God and to become more like him. Exodus chapter 31, again verses 12 and 13. Explaining the purpose of the Sabbath, we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths, notice they're not your Sabbaths, they're whose Sabbaths? My Sabbaths. You shall keep. Notice it's my day that I'm inviting you to keep. My Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may, and it does not say rest. It's that you may what? No. Apparently the Sabbath is a perpetual sign that we will know something about God. And what is that something? That you may know that I am the Lord who does what? Sanctifies you. Now, of course, the, the Sabbath is a memorial of God's creation, but after the fall, it's also a memorial of our redemption. And it reminds us that it is the Lord who not only makes the day holy, but also makes us holy. And he invites us into that time to spend with him, to meditate on his creation, to look at his marvelous work of redemption, and to become more and more like him. That you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The primary function of the Sabbath, then, is not rest from physical labor. Thou, though now that work is difficult, our bodies definitely need the benefit of weekly rest. But originally, Sabbath was designed to let us recalibrate ourselves spiritually to God as our Creator, and of course, after the fall, as our Redeemer. The same God who made the Sabbath holy can make us holy as well as we meditate on His character. That biblical principle, by beholding, you become changed. We need that Sabbath to behold God in his word, in his works, and in his service to the world so we can become more like him, that we may know that he is the Lord God who sanctifies us. So think about this. Apparently, Sabbath is not just a time that we keep, but an experience that we share with the Lord. The process of sanctification and becoming more like Christ, becoming more like our creator and redeemer. So we can extend this then. Thus you can arrange, by the way, for every Saturday off from work. Every one of them. You can avoid regular daily activities like shopping, going out to eat, whatever it is, sports, you know. You can go to church, go home, have a nice, healthy, vegetarian meal. If you want, you can stay dressed up all day long until the sun goes down, which tonight I believe is at 7.46 p.m. You can do all of that and still not have kept the Sabbath if you haven't reconnected with the Lord and let him do his work in you of sanctifying you and making more like your creator and redeemer. The Sabbath is not just the time, but it's the experience the time allows for. Sabbath is a special time designed to renew us into the image of God. Through the contemplation of his created works, through corporate fellowship, Bible study, and worship, and through missionary activities for others, which, by the way, we're going to come to. That's how Jesus kept the Sabbath. We behold the image of God and become more like our Creator and our Redeemer. Now, I did mention sunset. Now, this is sometimes something we don't often go over about the seventh-day Sabbath. People think, all right, sun comes up Saturday morning. That's the Sabbath. Slow down. 
Let's go back and see when does the Sabbath actually begin? When does the Sabbath actually begin? And there's a twofold answer to this. One, you probably like, I know the answer to this one. But the second one, we're going to maybe extend it even a little bit more. But let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. When does the Sabbath actually begin? And I'm hearing some mumblings of sunset, and you are correct. Now my question is why? Let's find out from the Bible. Why is this the case? Why not let it be a standard time, like 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., or or better yet, 6 a.m. to 6 a.m., or when the sun comes up like we reckon all the other days? Why do we have to be so peculiar about the keeping of Sabbath from sunset on Friday to sundown again on Sabbath evening? Why this construction? Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and what's that word? Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, there's a lot being said there in just two verses of Scripture. And I may not know exactly what uh, void means, and I don't know, but I do know what darkness means. Darkness is simply the absence of light, it's simply dark. We know what darkness is, and the original condition of this place that's now called earth was dark. Thus, he had to rectify that. That's the very first step in his work of creation was solving the dark problem. So we go to verse 3. Then God said, let there be what? Light. Now pause right here. Very elementary, and if I'm going beneath you, just deal with it. The earth started dark and then became light. It was not a big bright place, and the Lord said, let there be darkness. We can't have all this light all the time. No, it was dark, and he said, no, no, we need some light. So it started with the darkness, and then he created light. Let there be light, verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. There's a separation. It's not just a haze of gray all the time. There's a distinctly bright period and a distinctly dark period. Verse 5, God called the light, what? Day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Notice the construction of a day in God's reckoning has two parts, a dark part and a bright part. An evening and a morning makes one day. So we have an evening first and then the morning because it started dark and then he made light. And so the evening and the morning makes a day. You can think of it like here's the horizon, yes? And the sun goes down, making the dark part. Then it comes up again, making the day part. And these two parts together make one 24-hour period called a day. And the evening part is the beginning of the day. And you see that all throughout the rest of the creation week, the same construction. In fact, go down to verse 14. Almost identical language to verse 3. The fourth day is very similar to the first day. In fact, it's only one letter different. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be what? What's the letter that's different? S, lights, plural. In the firm of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Now, he'd already set up the cycle of evening and morning, but now he's creating these celestial bodies to continue or to perpetuate that cycle he had already established. Then God said, let there be lights in the firm of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for light in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, 
the greater light to rule the day, which of course we refer to as the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. You see, there's a continual reference to keeping the dark and the light separate. He's going to continue this cycle. In verse 19, it says, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Every day starts with a dark part and then the light part. So when the sun goes down, the day has just started. And when the sun goes down again, the day has just ended and the next day has begun. We're going to see that all throughout the Scripture, God's people reckoned their days accordingly. Leviticus chapter 23. Turn to the right in your Bibles because you really can't go to the left in your Bible at this point. Leviticus chapter 23 outlines the feasts of the Lord, these ceremonial feasts that pointed forward or prefigured or shadowed Jesus in his ministry. And each of them was supposed to be a special holy day, and they were to be treated as though they were a Sabbath day. In fact, God calls them a special Sabbath day. And the weekly Sabbath day was to be the template for how you kept these other holy days. So you kept them like they were Sabbath, even if they fell on a Tuesday. That was a Sabbath, a Sabbath. Not the Sabbath, but a Sabbath of the Lord. And it goes through all of them. And if you go to uh, chapter 23, verse 32... It's speaking of this Sabbath day, but this is the Sabbath day of atonement, and it tells us specifically how to keep it and when it starts. Chapter 23, verse 32. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, a day you shall afflict your souls, on the ninth day of the month, at when? Evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So from evening time, from sunset, from sundown to the next sundown, that's what constituted that special Sabbath day. Let's go to the further to the right, to the book of Nehemiah. If you get to the book of Psalms, you've gone quite far. Go, go back to the left. Nehemiah chapter 13. If you recall, this is in Nehemiah chapter 13 when Nehemiah was coming back to Jerusalem to see the Sabbath reforms he has instituted, how they were going, and they weren't going very well. And so he had to make further uh, regulations about keeping of the Sabbath to make sure that it was not profaned. And we read in verse, we'll start with verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? And if you want to read the more context, they were shopping and buying and selling and eating and all the different things that were just regular days. And he asked this rhetorical question, verse 18, Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So what does he do? Verse 19, So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, now check this language, as it began to be what? Dark. As it's beginning to be dark, right? Before the Sabbath. So the Sabbath starts when it is dark, yes, but as he sees the sun going down, it's starting to become dark, that's when he starts doing what he does here. I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. That is when it goes dark again, okay, from evening to evening. You see this in the New Testament as well. Go to the book of John, chapter 20. Jesus, of course, was 
crucified on a Friday, what the world typically calls Good Friday now, rested in the tomb on the Sabbath, as was his custom throughout his life, so it was in his death. And then he went to work on the first day of the week. Sunday morning, he resurrected the third day. But I want you to notice something in the language of John chapter 20 that maybe you can skip past sometimes, but John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now, the first day of the week, so not to be elementary, but what day of the week is it? The first day, Sunday, right? Mary Magdalene went to the tomb when? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still what? So apparently that first day of the week started while it was still dark out. You don't wait for the sun to come up and call it a day. People think, well, how could he have risen on Sunday if it was still dark out? That means it was Saturday night. No, actually, it was halfway through Sunday when the sun came up, right? The dark part had all gone. So you could, he could have risen at 2 a.m. if he wanted to, and it's still the first day of the week, biblically speaking, while it's still dark out. Jesus would get up early in the morning to play while it was still dark, but it was still that day because the day had begun at sunset, and it would continue until the following sunset. So you see this construction all throughout the Bible. Now, many of you are already well aware that sundown to sundown is when God reckons a day and his Sabbath day is the same. But here's the next step, I would say. Though the Sabbath itself begins at sunset on Friday, preparation for the Sabbath should begin long before that. And I'll be honest with you, too often in my life, I've remembered the Sabbath day as it's becoming the Sabbath day. It's like, oh, it's, oh, yes, it's Sabbath. That's right, I forgot. And you realize you go into Sabbath with no preparations made, nothing set aside, nothing ready. And what happens to your Sabbath day? You remember it, but you don't quite keep it holy. In order to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you've got to remember before it becomes, right? You've got to look long in advance and make planning. By the way, this is also outlined in Scripture. Go back to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, as the Lord was leading his children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, of course in Egypt they were persecuted and the Sabbath had been completely lost sight of or nearly completely lost sight. He had to reinstitute the whole thing. And as they were coming out, he starts teaching them lessons of how to keep the Sabbath before he even gave them the law at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 16, let's go down to verse 22. If you recall, they got bread from heaven every single day, and each day they were supposed to get that day's worth of food. But look at verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread. So you did twice as much work for your food on Friday than you did any other day of the week. That they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord had said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So it's like, yes, tomorrow is Sabbath, but you don't start keeping Sabbath when the Sabbath. No, 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 you start making plans for keeping Sabbath, arranging your life so that Sabbath can be the day that God wants it to be long before those sunset hours begin. Does that make sense? Luke chapter 23, let's go to the New Testament. Again, the the experience of the death uh, of Christ and people's reaction to it. 
Jesus, of course, as we mentioned, died on the cross on Friday, late Friday afternoon, in fact. And we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Luke 23 and verse 50. Scripture reads, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And if you recall, we'll pause right there. If you know the story of Christ's crucifixion, the Sabbath was beginning to draw near, and so they didn't want to work on the Sabbath by executing people, so they just killed them faster. So they go and break the legs. When they came to Christ, he was already dead. And now the question is, what do you do with the body? Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for permission to care for the body of Christ. Verse 53, Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the what? It became known. Friday became known in relationship to Sabbath. It was an extension of the Sabbath, not in that you start keeping it on Friday, but you get ready to keep it on Friday. Do you see what I'm saying? It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath drew near. It was not there yet, but it was the day when you make preparations. Verse 55, And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. But it does not say they went and anointed the body of Jesus then. Why not? And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So why were they rushing to the tomb? Look at verse, chapter 24, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, and as we were told in the other gospel, it was still dark out. They were eager to get there. What were they going there to do? Apparently, anoint the body. Apply the things that they had prepared, but they made preparations, and then they rested. They ceased from their labor, and then they picked it up again on the first day of the week. They prepared on Friday to keep the Sabbath the next day. And I'll tell you from personal experience, one of the reasons Sabbath is often not the joy it should or could be because we fail to make adequate preparations before the Sabbath arrives. We read this from Councils for the Church, page 263. All through the week, we are to have the Sabbath in mind and be making preparation to keep it according to the commandment. Have you ever thought about that? Let's sit down and actually budget or schedule our time for Sabbath. If Sabbath is truly the most important day, if it's God's day, if the day he set apart and sanctified as holy, and my job is to keep it holy, perhaps the first thought in my mind should be, before I take care of what i got to do on Sunday around the house or Monday and Friday through the week, what do I need to do to make sure that Sabbath is the most important? Starting from the, day, the, the minute the sun goes down on Sabbath, let's start looking forward to the next Sabbath. How can we be keeping how can it be special? What do we have planned for that day? Is it going to be, or is it just going to catch us off guard and be like, oh, I don't know, I guess I can't do, I don't know. All through the week, we're to have the Sabbath in mind and be making preparation to keep it according to the commandment. Continues, when the Sabbath is thus remembered, the temporal will not be allowed to encroach upon the spiritual. No duty pertaining to the six working days will be left for the Sabbath. During the week, our energies will not be so exhausted in temporal labor that on the day of when the Lord rested and was refreshed, we shall be too weary to engage in his service. There's an implication there. When we start to see the Sabbath as merely a break from daily labor so that I can have some rest for me, 
we miss the whole purpose of the Sabbath. Apparently, the Sabbath is not just another day for your pleasures, even if sleeping all day would be one of them, you know. But apparently, we're supposed to prepare for it, so I'm not even drawn to that. I'm not exhausted. I'm not drawn out, but I'm ready and energized for Sabbath so I can enjoy the fellowship. I can take walks in his creation. I can be part of his people and do his work on his day. Which brings up the next question. Always asked. Okay, I see that the seventh day is the Sabbath. And the commandment clearly says, you shall do no work, nor anyone in your household. So I know what not to do on Sabbath. Don't work. So what is it that I actually do? And oftentimes, the presentation of what we do on Sabbath is not taught so much as it's caught. Let me explain that again. It's not so much taught. I often have not heard what it is you're supposed to do on Sabbath. I've heard what you're not supposed to do on Sabbath. And then when people come in, it's like, well, what is it you people do on Sabbath? Well, we don't actually say it. We just show it. And for many people, that's a day to sleep in later than normal. Come to the tail end of Sabbath school, maybe. Definitely catch church, at least by the time sermon. That's why we take the attendance at that time. If there's a potluck, maybe go. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> and then have a, maybe have some people over, have a big meal, and just kind of, ah, uh, Sabbath kept. And this is a character. It's not everybody. I can tell you that used to be me when I was growing up. And I look in the bulletin, what time? 7.40, right? And if I was really adept, you could set an alarm for 7.45, so that's when I wake up. Closing Sabbath prayer, boom, and then off to do the stuff I actually want to do. But I've demonstrated loyalty to God that I have endured another Saturday. But obviously, that's not what the Lord wants. That's not what his ideal was. What should Sabbath keeping actually consist of? Well, let's go to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14 especially, are the quintessential Sabbath texts. I guarantee you, if you have been to an evangelistic meeting, if you heard the Sabbath preach, they've gone to Isaiah 58, and said, look at verses 13 and 14. This is how you keep the Sabbath. And it's true. This is truth about the Sabbath. It says here in verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, now I don't know if you catch the juxtaposition there, but apparently I'm not doing my pleasure, but I am delighting. So if I've stopped having pleasure, how do I delight? To people think this seems a little an odd construction. And call the Sabbath a light, a holy day, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So there's all the things we're not doing, right? But there's an implication there, right? It doesn't mean don't speak any words, or don't have any pleasure, or don't do any ways. Apparently, it's just not your ways. But we are supposed to speak words. We are supposed to do things. We are supposed to have a delight. It's just not the typical pleasures we would normally seek. It's the Lord's day, not ours. Verse 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. 
And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I don't know if anyone ever catches it, but when we talk about this Isaiah chapter 58, we always go to the last two verses. But apparently, the whole chapter is speaking about people who are religious in name, who keep the feasts of the Lord, who observe the seventh-day Sabbath, but they're not getting the rich fulfillment that they expect out of it. Look at verse 1. Let's go to the other end of Isaiah 58, starting with verse 1. The Lord's command to his prophet. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Well, apparently they're doing something wrong. It's called transgression. It's called sin. But look at the next one, verse 2. Yet they seek me daily. These are not pagan, idol-worshiping heathens. These are God's chosen. He said, tell my people they're trained. They're God's people. They love to seek his face. He goes on to say, and delight to know my ways. They like to know the truth of God's word. And as a nation, they did righteousness. They did not forsake the ordinance of their God. So apparently they're Sabbath-keeping. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take a delight in approaching God. So they love religious service. That's great. But look at their question, verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So apparently they're doing all the right things, call the people of God, keeping the ordinance of God, yet they're not finding the rich fulfillment that that has been promised. And they say, Lord, why have you not kept your... We are keeping, but you... Where is this rich blessing? And look at the answer. Skip down to verse 5. Is is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Apparently they're doing all these things and just kind of... But it wasn't fulfilling. Then the Lord answers, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So it basically outlines, as part of keeping the Sabbath and keeping the ordinance of God and being the people of God, that it's not just about what you get out of it and keeping it, but apparently you're supposed to use this time to be a blessing for others. This, by the way, was how Jesus kept Any Anytime you say, now what should I do? You know, the, you know the typical answer, well, what would Jesus do? Well, we don't even have to speculate. It's written down what he did. We know what Jesus did. Let me give you an example. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. 
By the way, did Jesus attend church every Sabbath? Yes, he did. Was the rest of his day inactive? No, it was not. John chapter 5. And we'll start with verse 5. A story you're likely well familiar with. The healing at the pool of Bethesda. And it says in John chapter 5 and verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. This guy was sick longer than I've been alive. Okay? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and notice what it says here, and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? 38 years he's been sick. And Jesus shows up this day, says, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take your bed, and walk. Take your bed and walk. Rise, take your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. By the way, if someone makes you well and he says, now, when you get up, I want you to, you know, jump through this hoop. Would you jump through the hoop? You better believe it. <laughs> you healed me from 38 years. You your wish is my command, sir. <laughs> he says, rise, take up your bed and walk, which was a violation of the ceremonial Sabbath rules. This man would have known that. Now he's like, now, wait a minute. Should I break the Sabbath? Wait a minute. He just made me whole. Whoever's got the power to heal me like that, I'll do what he says. And he does it. And the Bible specifically says, and that day was the Sabbath. Now look at the next verse. The Jews therefore said to him who was, to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. They looked at all that had gone on. They said, slow down. You are carrying your bed. And I love his answer. Look at verse 11. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. I'm going to listen to whoever makes me well. You haven't done a thing for me. He made me well, I'm carrying my bed. Now, commenting on this, we read in Desire of Ages, page 206. Jesus had come to magnify the law and make it honorable. There is a rumor going on. People say, aha, see, Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. Sabbath is done away with. No, 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 no. Was Jesus breaking the Sabbath or was he actually keeping the Sabbath? He's keeping the Sabbath in the most ideal way. Jesus came to magnify the law and make it honorable. He had come to free the Sabbath from those burdensome requirements that had made it a curse instead of a blessing. For this reason, he had chosen the Sabbath upon which to perform the act of healing at Bethesda. He could have healed the sick man as well on any other day of the week. Or he might have simply cured him without bidding him bear away his bed. But this would not have given him the opportunity he desired. Now, I'm not going to say that Jesus picked a fight. But he was open to the conversation that would result. Everything he did was important in itself and in its teachings. A wise purpose underlay every act of Christ's life on earth. Don't ever think that Jesus just shot from the hip. It's like, I don't know where I'm going this morning. Let's just see. No, 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 no. He was was thinking about things. He was thoughtful, purposeful in all of his actions. Among the afflicted ones at the pool, he selected the worst case upon whom to exercise his healing power. That's what fascinating. It's like, who is the sickest guy here? And he sees this man, who he knows already, according to Scripture, has been sick. 
38 years. He said, aha, that's my guy. Picks him on purpose. He selected the worst case upon whom to exercise his healing power and bade the man carry his bed through the city in order to publish the great work that had been wrought upon him. It's like, take up your bed, take a walk, right down the middle of town, see what happens. I bet somebody's going to ask about that bed carrying. This would raise the question of what it was lawful to do on the Sabbath and would open the way for him to denounce the restrictions of the Jews in regard to the Lord's Day and declare their traditions void. So think about it. If we were to keep the Sabbath as the Jews instructed, basically we would go to church, then we'd eat our meal, and then we would do nothing else all day long. Sabbath would end up being a day of so many don'ts, and the best way to keep it correctly is just don't do anything. Jesus demonstrated that true Sabbath keeping is nothing like that. The next page, in page 207, we read, The Sabbath is not intended to be a period of useless inactivity. The law forbids secular labor on the rest of the day of the Lord. The toil that gains a livelihood must cease. No labor for worldly pleasure or profit is lawful upon that day. But as God ceased from his labor of creating and rested upon the Sabbath and blessed it, so man is to leave the occupations of his daily life and devote these sacred hours to healthful rest, to worship, and to holy deeds. Rest, worship, and deeds. Or doing. The work of Christ in healing the sick was in perfect accord with the law. It honored the Sabbath. So if we think about Isaiah chapter 58 and what it instructs us, and we look at the example of Christ and what it teaches us about Sabbath keeping, we would realize that Sabbath was given to us as a gift, not so that we don't do, but that we have time to do the works of God. Does that make sense? We've somehow drunk in this idea that all my work is on the six days, as the commandment says, but then there's no work on the seventh day. Well, not your work on the seventh day, but the Lord's work. It's his day. Don't seek your pleasure, but have delight in my day. Apparently, the people in Isaiah 58 were going through all the motion, but they weren't doing anything. Christ says, is this what I intended? No. And Christ came to exemplify the busiest day of his week was Sabbath. Think about this. What would it look like if every one of us individually or even as a church family collectively decided to keep the Sabbath like Jesus kept the Sabbath? Would things be different in your life? It's a rhetorical question. This is not condemnatory. I'm just literally asking. What would it look like if I said, look, I want to take the example of Jesus and I want to minister to people on Sabbath. I'm not trying to, you know, do my own thing and, hey, I get to be active. That means I'm going to go to a ball. No, sloth. Come on now. But what would it look like if we said, all right, Lord, you've given me 24 hours from sunset to sunset. How can I put my stuff aside and do whatever it is you want me to do on this day? Do you want me to spend time with my family? Got it. You want me to worship together with a church family? No problem. Do you want me to go minister for the lost? No problem. What would it look like? I think we'd see more encouraging words and prayers for those going through difficulty in our church family. We would seek out the hurting. That's be like, hmm, that's sad. Let's pray for them. Let's go home. Talk to them. Encourage them a little bit more. Visit with them in their home. Visit those who are shut in, who are sick, who are elderly, 
who are hospitalized. Visit those who want Bible studies and spiritual guidance. Go on organized church outreach activities. Think about this. My wife and I have been talking about this. What would it look like? And, of course, you know, my role on Sabbath is pretty cut and dry. (laughs) But with whatever is allowed of my time to be completely mine, what will I do with it? Is it a time to escape from all, oof, that church says, oh. There's a time for physical rest. There absolutely is. And the Sabbath provides that for sure. But think about making a Sabbath plan or a schedule, or a budget of your allotted Sabbath time in advance as you see the Sabbath or the Sabbaths coming up. What if you were to say something like this? Once a month, we're just going to be spending family time together, our nuclear family. That's it. We need time with the boys. We need time with each other. We need to be a family. Let's do that. But not just that. On another Sabbath, let's go visit our church family members. Let's just Take a few numbers and names, and let's just go visit them. Pray with them. Talk with them. Study the Bible with them. Whatever, encourage them a bit. Build them up. On another Sabbath, let's go to outreach. Not every Sabbath, but wouldn't it be great if we had a core of people who didn't have to be the same people every week, but just said, you know, a portion of my time, even just once a month, I'm going to come to outreach. And I might not even be good at it, I might only do it a little bit of the time, but I'm going to try to reach someone for Christ. Maybe let's go to the hospitals one other week. Let's go to the hospitals and nursing homes, and let's go visit people who need encouragement. Let's go actually be active in the Lord's work. What would it look like if we were so organized that every time we left on Sabbath, this church building from church service, per se, we weren't just reclusing back to our own spots and biding our time until 746, By the way, it's always kind of bugged me that we put the exact down to the minute. I mean, it's the sundown. We all got eyes. Go look and see. Is it dark yet? (laughs) How hard is that? But we sometimes put it in there so we can know right up. You know, raising kids has given me a new perspective on obedience. They will go, sweet, charming little things that they are, right up to whatever it is you say, and just, did you put your blocks away? Just to the letter of the law, nothing more. And it's almost like they don't enjoy putting their toys away. <laughs> you could get that impression, right? Is it possible that God's looking at his children and saying, you know, it's almost as though they're counting the very minute when it's over. It's almost like they're not finding the light in the Sabbath. They're just Friends, what if we started preparing for the Sabbath? Oh, we look forward to it like it was the best, like it's the big rock in the jar, the one that we want to put the top priority. If we were to seek ye first the kingdom of God and say, Lord, this is your day. I want to gear my week to making it special. I want to make sure that everything's taken care of. I want to have a meal plan in mind. I want to have an activity plan in mind. If it's to be alone with my family in the woods, that's great. If it's to go on outreach, that's great. But let's put it into action so that we can make sure that we get squeeze all the blessing out of Sabbath that we can. And then when the Sabbath closes, it's almost like, oh, no, it's over already. Let's look forward to the next one. Yes, the seventh day is a Sabbath. And yes, it's a 24-hour period. But that's Sabbath 101. Sabbath 201 says, Lord, let's go to the next level. 
how can you use this day that you've built to, to change me to be more like Jesus? I think that we would see in our own lives, in our families, and in our church families, a powerful, powerful rejuvenation of our spiritual vitality. By the way, I want to throw this in there as well. For the last several weeks, we've had baptisms here, amen? And if you notice the stories, each one to a person was here because of another person. Every person who's been baptized in recent weeks did so in part, not necessarily in totality, but at least in part because of the personal witness of someone in their life. Might be a family member, might be a friend, might be a coworker, might be just a random stranger who came up their door. By the way, we've had that too. I wasn't going to come to that thing. I saw the thing in the mail, but then somebody came and handed me one, and I thought, yeah, okay. Most of our attendees at the recent set of meetings, which, by the way, we had 87 different people here over the course of our meetings, almost every one of those came because not only did they see the announcement, but they had someone personally invite them. Like the healing of the man at Bethesda, these witnessing activities could and should be done all through the week. I'm not saying, well, so we need to take that one-seventh and really work for you. You should witness all the time, amen? If there's a campaign, come invite him on a Tuesday. I don't care. But the Lord has given us a day to make his work our top priority. What would it look like if as a church family we said, Lord, we're going to keep the Sabbath as close to like Jesus as your Holy Spirit will let us? If you can make us as much like him, what would it look like? I think we'd march out of here like an army with banners, like we had a purpose, like we had a mission, like we had an end game in mind, and it wasn't just waiting till Jesus come. It'd be working to hasten that coming and to fill up his kingdom. Friends, the Sabbath was not made primarily for sleep, but for service. Imagine the impact of two little churches in West Michigan. I give the same challenge to Fremont, by the way. Muskegon and Fremont. We begin keeping the Sabbath like Christ did. Actively looking for those to whom to share the goodness and good news of God. I think it's a call to action. Sabbath is not a day of inaction, but it's a call to action. And every one of us is a messenger for the Lord. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.